Good morning, everybody. It's nice to see you this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, please turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, it'll be on the screen here for you in a second. We've been rolling through the book of Exodus, and we're talking about God moving his people. He, God rescued his people out of the land of Egypt and their, and their slavery there. And he moves them through this desert period until they reach Sinai, which is an area with a big mountain on it. And at Mount Sinai, in chapter 19, God's people had to cleanse themselves. They had to wash themselves and get ready. And they come before God on this mountain. And God is seen on this mountain in storms, in fire, in smoke, in lightning. And the people are in fear and trembling. But there's this go-between Moses, who is the one who'd come and take God's holiness down to the people and God's and the people's words back to God. And so we have this whole scene. And, and at the end of this scene, we get the Ten Commandments. Now, you're probably familiar with the Ten Commandments in many ways. Even if you can't remember all the Ten Commandments, you're probably well aware of them. Some of you may go back to the film with Charlton Heston, The Ten Commandments. That is one. Some of you, that's way back. If you don't know what that is, you can YouTube that. And there's a piece of that on YouTube you can watch, okay? You got Moses on the rock, and he gets, it's pretty good. So you go check out Charlton Heston and The Ten Commandments. We have other ways we've heard about The Ten Commandments. You may have seen monuments to The Ten Commandments. I remember when my grandmother passed away, there was one thing. My grandmother, y'all. I don't know, you're, you might have a grandmother like this. Do you ever have some, a person that has knickknacks everywhere? Like they, every time they go somewhere, like I would buy a t-shirt when I go someplace or a hat. She would buy, oh, look, a figurine. It's a tiny dog with flowers. And then she would buy that. And they were all over her house. There was, she had like a fake rabbit in the house. She had a fake teddy, a fake bear in the house. She had, I mean, there were all these things. And she had a fake cocker spaniel in the house, a fake collie in the house, like a little statue. She paid money for these things. She also had this little angel on the end of her ceiling fan that when the ceiling fan got going, <laughs> that thing would go around like a mace and about knock you out. Cause it was like a full ceramic thing. So when she passed away, most of that stuff, nobody wanted, okay? I wanted two things when she passed away, just to remember her by. One of them, this is really strange. I wanted, a, she had a rabbit outside that was fake, okay? I guess for her, we painted it yellow. It's out my house now. You got to find it. If you come to my house, you can look around. There's a yellow rabbit in the grass. You can check it out. Second thing we wanted from her was she had this, it was a wood plate with this gold embossed Ten Commandments on it. I don't know why I wanted that. It doesn't match anything in our house. It looks like something that the 70s threw up, okay? But it represented to me her faith. And it showed me something. That is something I wanted to take home with me and remember these things. Now, here's what God has done. God has saved his people. And when God saves his people, he always calls them out to be different. And one of the ways he shows them to be different is by giving them these commandments that would set them apart from the rest of the people. So I want to get you this. God, this whole, this whole section, what the script, these, these sermons we've been putting together, God saves us and he doesn't leave us where we are. He meets us where we are in our sin and in our folly and in our un- misunderstanding of who he is. He meets us there and he saves us and he moves us and he brings us on in faith and we progress in faith. We grow in faith. And one of the ways we grow in faith is by obedience to his revealed character and words. And so I want to read to you the Ten Commandments, okay? And beginning in Exodus chapter 20, God's on the mountain speaking to the people through an intermediary, Moses. This is Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words saying... I am the Lord your God 
who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself the carved image or any likeness or anything that is in the heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Verse seven, you shall not take the name of the Lord, your God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The next commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord, your God on it. You shall do, not do any work. You, your sons, your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day to make it holy. The next commandment, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land. The Lord is Lord. Your God is giving you verse 13. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor, covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant, his female servants, or his ox or his donkey or anything that is in your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled. And they stood far off and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. They're afraid. Verse 20, Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses drew to the thick darkness where God was. Now that was a lot. There's a lot to unpack it. So we're going to take the commandments two by two and sometimes three at a time. And we're going to walk through those. But before we do this, we need to introduce the Ten Commandments because it's something that you've probably seen. There's been court battles about the Ten Commandments being posted out in, in front of public buildings. You've probably heard of the Ten Commandments. You've seen that. But we need a little introduction as to why it's here. The Ten Commandments comes out of God's salvation. Look in, with me in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words saying, how does he start? Does he start off with a commandment? Not yet. He tells the people where they have been and reminds them of his goodness to them. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So the Ten Commandments, a lot of times we just view the Ten Commandments as thou shalt do this and thou shalt. And you, we, get, we get that thou shalt voice, okay? And you never use the word thou and you never put a T on the end of shall, okay? Until you're talking about the Ten Commandments and you're like, thou shalt. That sounds more definitive and, and angry. I want you to get this, though. The commandments come out of God saving his people. So God says, remember this? I'm the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt when you were in suffering and you were calling out to me and there was no earthly help for you, I reached down and I pulled you out of your slavery and your bondage. And I'm your God now. Remember that. I'm the Lord who did that. Therefore, you ought to obey me. There's nothing that makes a parent more incensed 
than when a child who you've given everything to is ungrateful and unappreciative. Am I right? Let's set the scene. It's Christmas morning. The presents are out. They've been unwrapped. Everybody's had a good time. And your child looks at you, no matter what age they are, and they said, is that it? I'll kill you. Okay, your voice drops like several octaves. How could you be so ungrateful, you ingrate? Oh, you see this electricity? It's my electricity. Did you pay for this electricity? No. You can't charge your device anymore because that's mine, okay? Oh. There, there is something here that God is calling his people to obey and to love and to trust him because he has saved them and he has been so good to them and because he is God. He is the one who intervened in their suffering and he is the one who's called them out and he is the one who has saved them. In fact, this thing that he's about to do is this is the beginning of him making a covenant, which is like a promise, but more legally binding and more significant. Beginning in Exodus chapter, there's, there's a switch in the whole book of the, in the book of Exodus. Chapter 1 through chapter 19 is God saving his people out of Egypt and moving him to this point in Mount Sinai. When they get to this mountain, God is going to give them a covenant, a promise. He's going to give them this, this, this really important, legally binding covenant. Okay? And he's going to do this for the rest of the book of Exodus. And it's going to go on. This covenant is going to be revealed in, in, in Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy and Leviticus. So have you ever read any of those books, by the way? If you ever do, it's really confusing as to why those books are in there. Do you know what the book of Numbers is about? Numbers. They count everything. There's a few sections of narrative, but if you've ever read the book, and they made us do it in Bible college, and it's inspired by God, and it's necessary, but you need to know this first. Numbers is, is part of God explaining and extrapolating his covenant he's making with his people who he saved. Okay, He's making a promise with them. Okay, So that's in there. Leviticus, if you've ever been to Leviticus, it's going to get awkward. If you're going through a family reading plan, when you get to Leviticus, there's stuff about bodily discharges that's going to make everybody real happy that you're reading that together. Okay? And you're like, what is happening here? You can't understand that until you understand that that is part of God unfolding his covenant to his people. And this particular type of covenant that begins here in Exodus chapter 20 and with these Ten Commandments is super important. And it follows a pattern that we see in the ancient Near East. Okay, It's called a suzerainty treaty. Okay, And here's what it is. In the ancient Near East at this time period... so. Go back B.C., okay, in this time period. When someone, when a king conquered a land, he made a treaty. Sometimes he would make a treaty with the conquered people that would benefit them and it would give them protection and care as long as they would abide by the treaty stipulations. Now, God didn't conquer his people. God saved his people. But it follows the same pattern as this thing. So here's what happened. According to, this is some help from, from a, a commentator named Stuart. This is precisely what Yahweh God, that's the, the covenant name for God, he does for Israel. They were not equal in terms with him, but took instead the role of a vassal to a king, a great king who rescued them and gave them graciously and dictated to them the terms under which they might enjoy his benefits and they, they might keep his commands. So here's what happened. God has saved his people and he's following the pattern of the culture of that time. And he's saying, since I am this great king who saved you out of this bondage, 
here is how you should follow me. And if you follow me, there will be blessing. If you follow me, you will know my presence. If you follow me. And, and the, this is the flow here. I want you to see this. God saves his people out of bondage. And he calls his people to be set apart. Now we know something. The image of God setting his people free from physical bondage in the Old Testament points to Jesus setting his his people free from the spiritual bondage of sin in the New Testament. How do we know that? Well, you can just go back to the Passover. Remember that whole thing? How were the people saved from the angel of death that eventually led them out of Egypt? They had to put the blood of a lamb over the doorposts. Blood of a spotless lamb over the doorpost. So everybody who was covered by the blood did not experience death. Who's the Passover lamb, the true Passover lamb? When John the Baptist sees Jesus rolling up, he goes, behold the lamb of God. Now, if I called you a lamb or you a goat, you'd get upset with me. But there's biblical, biblical imagery there. So when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, he knows he's the God man. He says, that's the lamb of God who takes away the sin. Well, how does the lamb of God take away the sin of God or the sin of the world, the sin of those who believe? He does it by dying on a cross, shedding his blood so that those who are under the blood might not perish, but have everlasting life. And so what we see here in this, in this thing is God has always functioned like this. He saves his people by his goodness, through faith. And then what does he do? Then he calls them to obey. God never says, obey and I will save you. He says, I will save you, now obey. That is super important for you to get because most people think of Christianity like all other world religions and we are not. We are saved by a God who does all the work and then we are called to obey. And that's exactly the pattern we see in the Old Testament and we see in the New Testament. That God makes a covenant with his people and then he calls them to live differently. So here's this. If you are in Christ, but if you're not in Christ, let me give you this. If you're not in Christ, here's, here's what you don't have to do. Get yourself cleaned up. I've heard a lot of people say, I'm going to come to church and I'll get my act together. And I was like, you're missing the point. Nobody would be here if we had our act together, including me. Like, big time, you know me, okay? It's a, it's a hot mess, but it's held together by Jesus and duct tape, okay? And that's, that's what we got here, is God saving his people by his mighty acts, by his, his, save, his redemption. And when he does that, he calls. So if you're here and you're waiting to get better to come to Jesus, you are missing the boat. You will not get any better. You're not going to do anything to please God. He's already provided the sacrifice. Just turn from your sins and believe and then obey. Obedience is the outflow of the, of the salvation that God brings into our life. So then for believer, if you are here and you have passed the death from death to life, from bondage to sin to now bondage to christ to this freedom that's in the bondage to following god if you've done that then you are called to live differently the living differently here does not have to do with what we would think it is most of the time we view living differently as a christian as being self-righteous okay do you know what i mean by that on the bare bones it's like well, I'm living differently, so I'm going to tell everybody at work that they're sinners, which is true. But you don't have to point that out. It's pretty evident, okay? The Holy Spirit will take care of that. You're not the Holy Spirit. But you've got to walk around. i got a big Bible, and I will condemn. Just walk around. Oh, sin, sin, sin. I'm holier than you. 
Look at me. I get myself dressed up. I'm looking good. I'm looking the part. I'm looking like the, the, the Christian I've seen on TV and in the movies. That is what it means to live differently. No, 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 no. What is meant by living differently is I'm going to give you these commands that are going to, God's going to give these commands that reflect his character. And now you want to obey them and be obedient because you love God, not because you want to show everybody else that you're better than them. That is not righteousness. That is self-righteousness. And Jesus condemns self-righteousness. This is what we see here is when the Lord saves his people, he calls them into a covenant relationship with him. He calls us to live differently. That differently is us obeying him to glorify him and that others might see our light, not that we would be this condemning force. So God has always done it. He set his people apart. So when we see this, these, these commands, these commands would be different and would set this nation, Israel, apart from the rest of of the world at this time in the ancient Near East. In the same way, when God gives his commandments to us, which we're going to discuss more clearly when Jesus helps us understand the commandments, he is calling us to live set apart in this world, to obey him, to love him, and to be a light, not a hammer. And what we see here in these is God always, when he brings salvation, he calls us to live differently. Secondly, I want you to see this in this this section. There's a structure that helps us like a cheat sheet. Okay? There's a structure. So these, these are important. So if God has saved us and he calls us to live differently, and the way he showed us to live differently is these commandments that he's given us, well, what's it's difficult to obey if I don't understand or if I can't remember the rules. Do you guys, I don't you remember taking your driving test before? You got the little book, okay, and you had to learn all the things about the laws of the road. Many of you probably can't remember how far legally you have to stop. Like if you're stopped at a red light, how far do you have to be off the train tracks legally? Does anybody know? I don't know. But you know, at the time, you know what? That sounds good. 15 feet sounded good. Kelly's maybe right. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't look this one up. But you know why I didn't look it up? Because you don't know either. Have you been in Gallatin before? When that train comes by, people are like having to get off. They're already parked on the tracks for the red light. Oh, crap. Okay. When the things are going down, they have to pull their car over to the side. Nobody does that. But at the time, you knew that. By the time you were doing your driver's test, you knew the law. So you could pass that test. You could have some freedom and drive your car around. But then you forget it. So here's the thing. If you get pulled up, there is, there's literally a chance of this happening. If there's a, if there's an officer who is low on his quota and he needs to get you and you are, and you're breaking the law because you are breaking the law and they know the law. Okay. And if not, they'll, they'll go on their little computer and they'll find the law. Okay. I think that's how it works. If they see you, you break the law, you have no, you can't be like, I didn't know it. He's like, you got a driver's license? Yeah. This driver's license says, you know, that law. Oh. You know what's happening? They're getting a ticket, bro. Okay, that's happening. Because you're breaking the law. So my thing is this. If you don't know it, you can't obey it. The Lord has structured the commandments in such a way that we can have a, a, a cheat sheet, if you will. And I want to walk this structure through with you. This is a covenant, it's a promise, it causes people to live differently. But also God helps us in understanding because there's actually 613 laws in the Old Testament. 613. 
In our country, there are thousands of laws, by the way, okay? We're going to talk about these in a minute. Like, we have thousands of laws, and there's only, in, in, in ancient Israel, there were only 613 laws, 10 of which are the Ten Commandments, okay? And so there's 613. How many of you could be, if I, if I gave you a list of 10 things to memorize, you'd be like, okay, I could do that. What if I gave you a list of 613 things to memorize? Be a little difficult? I took a class in college, and uh, it, was about, it was a computer science class, and we had to remember all of the shortcut keys for Windows uh, XP, okay? Um, and so we had to remember all of these, all these things. And so what, what happened at the end of the, like, we were all just cramming these, cramming these things in our head. We had to know all the shortcuts, control, all this, that, a whole, whole deal. Okay. Now I'm a Mac guy and I couldn't even remember what, what those were to save my life. Cause I use command and all that kind of stuff. But at that time we had to memorize that. And at the, like right before the test happens and everybody's stressing out, the teacher says, Hey, guess what guys, I'm going to let you have on your test, a three by five note card as a cheat sheet. And you can fit whatever you want on this, but you can do the front and the back, write as small as you want. I don't care as long as it's three by five and you can take that in the test with you. I'm going to tell you something. I got one of those jeweler's monocle things. Because <laughs> there's a lot of them things, you know, you're boxing those in. I went through five or six different incarnations of this little card. I was like, I got so much information on this card. And you're holding it like for dear life, like it's going to save your life and taking it in the test. And that's what it is. I want to give you this. The way that the, the commandments are structured are for, God, for, for his people to help understand them and to remember them. Because you can't obey unless you remember. And if you're called to live differently, you need to understand how you are to live differently. Does that make sense? And so there are 613 laws in the Pentateuch. However, 10 of those laws are these 10 commandments. And these 10 commandments can be subdivided into two parts. And you can see them this way. Four of them relate directly on our vertical relationship. By vertical relationship, I mean up and down. It's how we ought to relate to a holy God. So the first four commandments in the, of, the, of the Ten Commandments are about God, about our relationship to Him. So they're vertical. The last six are horizontal, which is how we relate to other people. Let me give you an example. I'm going to show you this. Okay, got your Bible, Exodus chapter 20. After God says, I'm, I'm, your, I'm the covenant God, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. Look in verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. What is that related to? Our relationship to God. So God says, I'm the one who saved you. You can't have any other God but me. Secondly, we see this in verse 4. You shall not make for yourself the carved image or any likeness or anything that is on heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. So don't make any carved image. Don't have an idol. That's who, what's that about? Our vertical relationship with God. No other gods before me. And then we got no, no graven images, no idols. And then it says in verse 7, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the, and that's not just swearing, okay? Um, so you shall not take the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. What does that have to do with our vertical relationship with God? And we also see this in verse 8. It says, um, you shall remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath day to the Lord your God. So what's the fourth one about? Our relationship with God and resting and setting apart a time to worship him. So the first four are about our vertical relationship with God. The last six are about our horizontal relationship. It relates to how we treat God or how we relate to God. Because every person that you meet, and you need to know this, is made in the image of God. Every person. 
doesn't matter their skin color, their nationality. Every human being is created in the image of God and therefore deserves respect and dignity and to be treated equally. That is the scripture. So when we relate to other people, we are really relating to God as well. But these, if you want to just help with the cheat sheet here, first four are about our vertical relationship. The, the, the last six are about our horizontal relationship. Now you see this in verse 12. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God has given you. So that's about our relationship with our parents. The second thing we see is you shall not murder. That's obviously a horizontal thing, okay? Uh, the next one is you shall not commit adultery. That's about our relationships with each other. Verse 15, you shall not steal. Again, that's horizontal. It's about our relationship to others. Verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, so you should not lie. So that, that right there is a horizontal thing. And so we also see you shall not covet. That's the last one. You shall not covet your or want your neighbor's house and blah, 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 whatever. Insert there. You should not cover. That's about our horizontal relationships. And so as the cheat sheet, we got 613 laws. 10 of those are these 10 commandments. Four of them relate to how we relate to God uh, vertically. The other six are about how we relate to each other horizontally. And then out of those 613 laws, 10 are the 10 commandments. And then two of them are what Jesus would quote when he talks about how do you understand the whole law. I told you, if I gave you a list of 10 things, you could probably remember it. But if I gave you a list of 613 things, there ain't no way. Maybe you would. It would take you a while. Maybe some of you are like, really got the, that memory game is your jam, okay? Remember that one where you were a kid and you put all the cards like, oh, look, it's a coffee pot. Oh, it's right here too. You remember that game, the little memory game? Maybe that's your jam, okay? Maybe you can remember some different things. Like you have a really good memory, but 613 is pretty difficult. So what we got here is now we've got it broken up in these 10 commandments. Four of them are about God, about how we relate to God. Six of them are how we relate to other people. Jesus in the New Testament would help us understand. He gets asked the question by the Pharisees and Sadducees, and he quotes two of the laws of the 613 out of Leviticus and Deuteronomy to help us completely understand and help us have more of a cheat sheet to understand how we ought to obey. This is Matthew 22. It'll be on the screen. Matthew 22, 34 through 40. This is Jesus. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. So this lawyer is coming to Jesus, and, he, and he's, a, he's a professional in the Old Testament law. And he comes to him and he says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, that, why is this a pickle? Because... You ever played the game apples to apples? If you ever played this game, we got this, this apples to apples game. And what you do is you get this green card and the green card says something like joyful. Okay. And then you have all these red cards and the red cards would be different places, persons, or things. And you play it say joyful. And you might say the wizard of Oz. Okay. And you'd play that. And the, the person would pick which one it is. I got, because I'm a pastor, people think I want the Bible version of every game. The Bible version of games ruins those games. And I will tell you why. Because it was like the card would be, the green card would be holy. And then one guy would have Jesus. One guy would have God the Father. And one guy would have the Holy Spirit. And you can't make a difference. You can't make a choice between those because you're committing heresy. So the game is not fun anymore. I received this with great joy from that person who gave it to me. So don't, that I wasn't a jerk. Like, well, thanks for the Bible version. Okay? I do. I love the Bible. Okay? But... You don't, it's like the testaments that you could, used to buy at like Lifeway and stuff. It was like, 
listen, these mints that I'm giving you have the cross on it and a Bible verse. You're going to eat it. Why does that even matter? Free. It's just like stuff like that. It, it, if, if you don't take things properly and put them in their proper understanding, this guy is trying to, to trip, this lawyer is trying to trip, trip Jesus up like people would, like playing the apples to apple games would try to trip you up by playing holy than God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Which commandment is the best? If you, if you say one's worse than the others, you're making a pretty definitive statement and you're, you're renouncing God's laws. But Jesus, being the Son of God, answers with great wisdom, wisdom from the Father. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all of the law and the prophets. So all of the law, which is basically this covenant information that begins in Exodus chapter 20. All the law and the prophets basically covers the whole entire New Testament. Jesus says all of the laws can be summed up into two. So we start out with 613 to memorize, and then we go to 10. And then out of, so 613, out of those 613, there's 10 that help us really understand it. And then Jesus said, out of those, out of those 10, out of the 613, you can narrow it down to two and everything can be understood in those two. And what are those two? Love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second is love your neighbor as yourself. Look at the 10 commandments. How are they structured? The first is about how you relate to God, right? The second part, the second six are how you relate to other people. You get this? The Lord to help us to understand and to walk in obedience has really narrowed down how we ought to obey in the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with everything you got, your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Secondly is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now here's the problem. Love can mean whatever you want it to mean unless it's defined properly. You know that? Love means never having to tell someone they're wrong. Our culture believes that. That's not loving because you're not affirming my decisions. Because it's deadly and dumb and just bad. But it's not love if you tell me I'm wrong. Here's what, the, here's what God has done. He has made, given us a cheat sheet that shows us that the whole of the law is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And the Ten Commandments and the 600 and, 610 laws that follow are all about and can be understood and defined for us what it is to love God and what it is to love other people. So we're not left to just defining love how we ought to feel. Because sometimes we define love as, oh, I got the tingle. Mm. Okay? Think about love when you first started dating to being married now. Okay? When you first started, you're like, oh, they sent me a text. Had an emoji. Sometimes you get a text now, you're like, what do you want from the store? doesn't mean you don't love the person. Love now is like, I'll get up and let the dog out at 4 a.m. So you can keep sleeping. It used to be like, stare at each other and have milkshakes, okay? 
it went from that to this. And so love is defined differently by, by you get that. And we see the, the Bible defines for us love in these 10 commandments. These commandments help us to understand the two great ones. So if you want to understand the whole of the law, Jesus gets it for us. The whole of the law is about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. The commandments in the scripture help us understand how we ought to love God and how we ought to love our neighbor. Also, when we come to something really strange and we're in the scriptures, especially like Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy... When we don't understand it, we can understand it better because Jesus helped us. All the law and the prophets depend on two laws. So these laws that are strange have to do with us loving God with everything we have or loving our neighbor as ourselves. This, this is us to understand. You cannot obey what you don't know. You cannot obey if you can't remember. But God has taken these 613 laws, narrated to 10 and narrated to 2. These, these laws help us understand what love is. And these laws also, these two great commandments that Jesus has given us, help us understand the whole of the Old Testament. It's kind of like, like when you go to the eye doctor. And they're flipping lenses. And like, is that better? Is that better? Is that better? The thing that makes it clear when you're looking at Scripture and it's not being clear is Jesus' understanding of the whole law can be summed up and to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And we're not left to understand how to love those people because God has given us the answer. It's the, it's the key that makes it all come together. Finally, I want you to see this. We have an understanding of the law in our culture of laws in general than the Bible does about laws in the Bible times. Ancient laws do not work like our laws. They give us paradigms by which to obey. Our laws, you know, we got a lot of laws. I love at the time of year when people go through and they find all those old laws and they post like, like it's illegal to have an ice cream cone in the city limits of San Antonio or something like that. You know, have you ever seen those laws? They're on the books and you're like, why is that on the books? But some legislators got together and they came up and so there's words like it's, it's illegal for a lady to own property in Montana or whatever. Some weird laws all on the books. If you notice, if you ever think somebody can commit a crime in this country and get off on a technicality or a loophole in the law. Like, you know that, right? Somebody can get off because they did, not hit their, they did not get their Miranda rights read properly or that they were not questioned properly in a court of, or by investigators or what have you. Any number of things. Or it, and so we have all these different things. So you could commit murder and, you know, we got degrees of murder. We got, and you could, if you, if you, if somebody died because of your actions and it could go down to manslaughter, manslaughter too, all those things. So the Bible gets down to 613 laws. We have thousands upon thousands of laws just in this country. Imagine the, around the world how many laws there are. You would think that just 10 laws wouldn't cover it or just 613 laws wouldn't cover everything that could happen to the people of God in ancient Israel. But God here is not giving us laws that we can look for loopholes in. He's giving us laws that are paradigms. And what does that mean? He gives us a law that gives us a model of behavior and a model of prohibitions and punishment relative to those behaviors. 
but they don't attempt to be exhaustive. They give us a principle, the laws, the the Ten Commandments and the, the greatest two commandments and all of the commandments in the scriptures. They are meant to give us a paradigm of what we ought to do, but not to be exhaustive. That doesn't mean the Bible and the laws don't speak to everything, but it means we, when we stop looking for loopholes, it changes our way of thinking. Ancient laws gave guiding principles or samples rather than complete descriptions of everything that's wrong. Let me give you an example of what I mean. We, and we got in the Ten Commandments, you shall not steal. Okay, right? This is fleshed out a little bit later on in Exodus 22, verse 11. The law says, I must make restitution for stolen oxen or sheep. That's a law. They've got the paradigm that kind of of the Ten Commandments to help us understand we should not steal. Okay, we ought not do that. It's not loving our neighbor as ourselves, and it's not honoring the image of God in that person. But what if you stole a goat? Because this law says you have to make restitution if you stole an ox or a sheep. But what if you stole a goat? If we have our understanding of the law, we're like, listen, I don't have to pay you back because I did not steal your ox or your sheep. I stole your goat. That makes sense? And if we had, a, if we had this wrong understanding, but what is, what is the law really getting at? You should not steal. Whether it's an ox, a sheep, or a goat, or an iPhone, which was not invented then. But these laws matter, and, we can, and they transcend because this is a paradigm or a principle that goes forever. So it, it, it goes on to every situation. So if you're asking something, there was, this is great, on the Exit to our interstate 285, which is one of the major loops around Atlanta, a Brinks truck had a broken door and $300,000 spilled out of the Brinks armored car onto 285. You can go look this up on the internet. Okay. These people pulled their car up. This is a fast moving interstate in Atlanta, Georgia. It is super crowded. People pulled their car over to the side of the road, ran into traffic, and they are just shoving cash in their pants and in their shirts and everything. They're going to go to jail. That's just what's going to happen. Or at least they're going to get reprimanded. You know why? Because it's stealing. That Brinks money may have been your money. Okay. They move stuff from, from place to place or banks to banks. Even though the thought of a whole bunch of cash being spilled on the road would be awesome. Let's all agree. Okay. And you could use a couple hundred thousand dollars, just like me, right? Amen. It's not that kind of church. Okay. <laughs> there is something we know that those things are wrong intuitively. Because I even said, I was like, yeah, that'll be fun. I'm going to stuff my cash. And Amy goes, you know that's wrong, right? I said, yes, I know, Amy, that's wrong. Stealing. I would like the money, but yes, it's wrong. It gives us a paradigm. So that's what the laws do. Though they're not exhaustive, somebody who with wisdom and being led by the Spirit can understand that, oh, listen, the Bible only says I'm not supposed to steal sheep and oxen. All right? So, you know, if I steal this guy's goat, I'm good. It also doesn't say anything about iPhones in there, so I can steal all the iPhones I want. Also, it doesn't say anything about stealing hardcore cash, okay? So bank robbery, here I come. No, it says thou shalt not steal. That paradigm should go and follows all, all different areas of life. Secondly, I want you to see another illustration of what we're talking about here, about not looking for loopholes, but seeing, the, the, seeing these paradigms. The law says in Exodus 21, 15, the law says that anyone who attacks his father or mother must be put to death. Whoa. 
gives a whole new meaning to honor your father and mother, right? It fleshes that out. So you cannot attack your mother and father. If you do, according to the law, they're going to put you to death. But let's just say you're one of those loophole seekers. And you're like, but listen, I didn't attack my mom or dad. I attacked my grandma. I stole her walker and hit her with a two by four. Bible doesn't say nothing about that. I shouldn't be punished. You get, see, this is funny because you know it to be true. That's your mom's mom. They're related to you. That honor your father and mother thing, it goes towards that, okay? You should not do those things. Therefore, it is wrong. Therefore, we look, that's not a loophole. You see what the Bible's doing here. It's giving us these principles that can be applied across cultures, across life. It's these universal truths, which everyone hates, but they are evident, self-evident and explained in the scripture. Finally, I want you to see, just in case you were not following me yet and not seeing how these laws are made. The law says in Exodus twenty-one eighteen. the law says that certain penalties apply for hitting someone with a fist or a stone. But I kicked my neighbor with my foot and I hit him with a piece of wood so I shouldn't be punished. No, to love, to love your neighbor as yourself is I, you probably don't want to get kicked and hit with a two by four today when you go home. It's violating, it's violating the spirit of the law. And so what we have here is these laws in scripture, which God has honed down to these great two so we can remember them and walk in them. All of these are meant to be these universal principles that can be applied in all situations. And they just reflect the character of God and what he wants to see in his people who are set apart and different. So stop looking for loopholes and saying, hey, can I get away with this? How far is too far? And keep asking the question, does this honor Jesus, my Savior and my King? Because it reflects your heart. It's like this. What kind of behavior, if you approach your marriage this way, it won't go well. What kind of behavior can I get away with and still be married? That's a, that, dude, if you ever ask that question to your wife, you're going to be hurt, Okay. What's the worst things I can do and still stay married to you? Is that going to work out very well? Like, what, God, what is the closest I can get to sin and still have a relationship with you? What are the things I can really get away with and still be cool with you? It won't work in your marriage. It definitely doesn't work with him, and so it changes. If you go up to your, and now listen, gentlemen, this may help you. What can I do today to love you better? And she'd be like, dishes. <laughs> diapers cook a meal pick up your underwear any of those things what can i do to love you better what's the difference in those two questions maybe physical violence maybe the difference between those two but if we would not ask that question of a spouse why would we entertain that with god God, what can I get away with? As opposed to what, what can I do to honor you and love you because you are God, my Savior. And so as we look at these commandments, what I hope is that we see not just a list of do's and don'ts, but a, a, a list of God's character 
And he shows us how we ought to live differently because he saved us. And we, we walk in this, not looking for loopholes and how we, how we might just, just get by, but how we might honor him with all of our lives. Because we, the two great commandments and what God has called us to, just to understand out of all these 613 and about the goats and the sheep, just understand what it's getting at is we are to love the Lord, our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. This does not save us, but is a result of God's saving work in our lives. And now he's called us to live differently and living differently is putting God at the forefront and others second. And I'll call us today in just a moment. We are going to see in this picture of communion, Jesus, remember Jesus fulfilled the whole law. Jesus was perfect. So Jesus fully loved the Lord, his God, with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he loved his neighbor as himself. This is seen in these elements. Do you know how God, you know how Jesus loved the Lord, his God, the father with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane, right before he was going to the cross, he was so distressed that he was bleeding from his sweat glands. And he said, father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to go to the cross and all these beatings. The father, it was implied here that there is no other way. And Jesus said, though not my will, but your will be done. So he, fought, he perfectly obeyed. He loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength to death. But also, you know, he loved his neighbor as himself. Do you know how he did that? Because his death was called for by God, but it was also on the behalf of all those who would believe, all those who were stuck in sin. Jesus loved his neighbor fully as himself. And he calls his people to follow his example. He doesn't call us to anything he hasn't done himself. He empowers us with his spirit to do it. And when we take communion in just a few minutes, we are remembering the blood and the body broken for us and Jesus loving us, his neighbors, and loving God the Father with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. So if you would do this, we're going to bow. Uh, I'm going to invite the communion team forward. And um, I'm going to pray for us. Communion team is going to hand out communion. We're going to sit here in just a few minutes. And as if you would, just take some time to consider the, the steps of obedience that God's calling to, calling to you. And we'll take, if you're a believer in Jesus and join us in this, we're going to take communion together in a minute as our way of just acknowledging and com- commemorating and remembering Jesus' sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today and our time in the word together and our time in worship together. We pray in the power of the Spirit that you would help us understand and live in light of your salvation differently and obey. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So glad you're here today. If you would, let's stand and we're going to receive these words of benediction. Our God has not left us in a place where we can't understand what he has for us. He has given us the two great commandments to help us remember and obey. Jesus speaking to the lawyer said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the laws and the prophets. This is a blessing from God. Be dismissed in that blessing. You're dismissed.